Uh, I want to deliver a message to you today entitled, This is How I Fight My Battles. This is how I fight my battles. It's a continuation of last week's message. If you'll remember, I felt like the Lord gave me five reasons why I need to tear up my Bible, why I need to just wear this thing out, why I need to read this thing until my eyes bleed. Metaphor, just a metaphor, you know, but you understand what I'm saying. So God, I felt like the Lord gave me five reasons. Number one, I talked with you all about last week because it brings health and it brings life to those who find it. I also shared with you it's how I overcome the enemy, which is what I want to talk to you about today. The third thing was it's how I become successful. The fourth thing is how God speaks to me. And the fifth thing is how I build my faith. And so today I want to speak to you on that part about it's how I overcome my enemy. It's, over, it's how I overcome Satan, who's constantly warring against my spirit and against my flesh. Anybody else? Just two of us. Two of us in the room that have to deal with the devil. The rest of you have just got it all squared away. Either that or you're on his team. I don't know which one it is. No, okay. So last week I presented to you the Word of God that brings life and brings health to those who find it. This week I want to talk to you about the Word of God that's used to help overcome the enemy. And, and some of this is stuff that you've heard me talk about before, but it's, it's, it's certainly worth repeating. And I want you to tell you, uh, open up your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 4. Open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 4. And we're just going to take a little stroll through one of the great stories about our Jesus. And it's subtitled in the word, The Temptation of Jesus. Or let's just call it for a minute, The Battle. One of the battles. Or we might call it, Jesus Overcomes. All right? I'm going to start with uh, verse 1 of chapter 4, and I'm going to read through verse 14. Starts off by saying, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. Verse 3, and the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. Verse 5, And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Verse 7, Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. Verse 8, Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they shall bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
Verse 12, and Jesus answered and said to him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Wow. And then here's the beginning of verse 14, and Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. It's an interesting parallel I believe, from my perspective, found between verse 1 and verse 14, because we see Jesus coming from the Jordan River after having been baptized to begin his ministry, but even before beginning his ministry, he goes into the wilderness, and it says that he went into the wilderness filled with the Holy Spirit. And I, but he came out of the wilderness walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. I think that there's something to be said about the journey from walking in the, in the Spirit to walking in the power, being filled with the Spirit to walking in the power of the Spirit. I like to call it the journey from the fullness to the power. Now, Jesus received the Spirit of God in full measure. Let's not, you know, hold back anything from Jesus. He was fully man and fully God. I don't understand all that completely. I don't need to understand that completely. But because of that, he was filled with the Spirit of God in full measure. John 3, 34 in the King James Version says, for God gives not the Spirit by measure unto him. All right? Maybe that implies he does give it in measure unto us. That may just be an implication. But with Jesus, Jesus was filled with the full measure of the Holy Spirit. Though he was God as well as man, yet as man, God anointed him with his Spirit, and not to a small degree. No, 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 no. But to fully, full, complete, overflowing. Jesus was continually filled with the Spirit of God. Matthew Henry said about him, the the Spirit dwelt in him not as a vessel, but as a fountain, as in a fountain like a bottomless ocean. Now, how many of y'all have ever felt that full of the Holy Spirit? That's a good time to not raise your hand, because I I don't think any of us have ever felt so full of the Holy Spirit that we might say, it's like a fountain that's like a bottomless ocean. No, because the one thing that Jesus had over us, though he was fully man, though he was fully God, and yes, he was tempted in every way that we are tempted, and he overcame every one of those temptations, you and I don't. Are you hearing me? Jesus was sinless. You and I aren't. So there is a fundamental difference between us and between Jesus. He was fully God and fully human. You and I are fully human with all of God living in us. That's a fundamental difference. Are you hearing me? So Jesus had all the gifts without without limitation. You see, for us, the gifts of the Spirit aren't as we will. They're as the Spirit wills. Right? That's what the Scripture tell us, tells us. But with Jesus, he had them without limitations. 
Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. There's some, there, was a, there was something different about Jesus. Back in the day, I don't know whether it was late 80s or early 90s, Audio Adrenaline, anybody ever remember the band Audio Adrenaline? They did a song called Never Gonna Be As Big As Jesus. We did it back in youth group in the day, remember? And, it, and the lyrics go like this. I'm never gonna be as big as Jesus, never gonna hold the world in my hands, never gonna be as big as Jesus, never gonna build a promised land, never gonna be as big as Jesus. Now, there's some truth in that statement and there's some fallacy in that statement. The truth is, I ain't never going to hold the world in my hand or build a promised land. Neither are you. Are you hearing me? But we are to be Christ-like. We're supposed to walk in the same inheritance that Jesus Christ walked in even on planet earth. We're we're not supposed to just be vessels of God's Spirit. We are supposed to be, like Jesus, fountains of His Spirit. We let our humanity dam that up, clog that up, and keep us from flowing like a, like a bottomless ocean fountain when we ought to be flowing just like that. John seven thirty eight says, He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I dare say there's some Christians in this room today that don't even feel like trickling brooks, small streams trickling in the beautiful sound of the morning doves. I dare say there may be some of us in this room that don't feel like rushing, flowing rivers flowing out of us of the Spirit of God. Can I get a witness from somebody? Or is it just me? What am I saying? You and I as believers of Jesus Christ can walk in the fullness and in the power of the Spirit of God. We are not supposed to be limited in that fashion either. However, you need to know this, that like Jesus, you and I are going to have to go through that journey. I don't believe that it was just, well, there's a great, God said, let's make a great storyline about Jesus in the wilderness, tempted. Oh, it'd make a great movie. Let's do it. He'll fast for 40 days, and then we'll send the snake in, and he'll tempt him, and Jesus will overcome, and it'll be a great storyline in the Bible. No, 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 no. It, the stuff in the Word of God is for our example. It's to help us know something that you and I may, not may, but will have to overcome some battles to walk from being full of the Holy Spirit to being able to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why a lot of spirit-filled Christians aren't walking in the power because they aren't overcoming their battles. They're tucking away and going off into a cave when the first battle comes along instead of hanging out for 40 days and 40 nights metaphorically. Are you all hearing me? So we're going to have to win some battles along the way. Let me help you. This is not rocket science. You can't win a battle without the battle. You're going to have to have a battle. And I think every person in this room would raise their hands. In fact, everyone online would raise your hand today and say, oh, yeah, absolutely. I have faced 
some battles, and I am facing a battle today. That's what Jesus did. He had to face his battles. He had to go through, I wouldn't say his hour of temptation, his 40 days and 40 nights of being tempted in every possible way, three of which we have record of that probably encompass every other possible temptation. You might think, well, why did Jesus, Son of God, fully God, fully man, have to endure the temptation? Because he was also fully human. And it needed to be seen by us that he overcame every temptation and every sorrow and every pain that was known to humankind. Jesus did it on our behalf. If he did it, although you may never be as big as Jesus, because he did it, so can you. That deserves a better amen. So can you. So can you. So why do we need to keep our nose in the book? Because it's how we fight our battles. It's how we overcome the enemy. So now, let's look in verses 2 through 4 for a minute. For 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. Now, if you look at it, he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. That says, if I'm reading it at face value, that for 40 days he was being tempted by the devil. Not just after 40 days. I mean, you can, you can imagine that if you want, but if face value reading in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Hello, every day for 40 days, give me a break. That's a lot of temptation. Every day. But it says, and when they had ended the 40 days, he became hungry. I, every time I read that, I just kind of go, no disrespect, God, but duh. 40 days and 40 nights. Some of us can't go 40 minutes. What are you talking about? 40 days and 40. What is it saying? He was human. He was fully God and he was fully man. And that human side of him was hungry. That only stands to reason. And he was also without water. So guess what other part of his human side was there? Thirsty. And if you go 40 days and 40 nights, whether you're called by God or not to do it, well, if you're not called by God, you'll be dead at 40 days, okay? If you are called by God to do it, guess what? You're going to be weak. You're going to be tired. You're going you're to have some physical, emotional things that are going on in your life because of what's happening, right? And you, you may very well be at your weakest moment. That's the other thing that I see if I go, okay, it looks like it's saying he was tempted for all 40 days, but we know this, that after 40 days, when he was hungry, that's saying to me when he was at his weakest moment in his humanity. Listen, you all want to be as big as Jesus? Then you better be ready for the enemy to come tempt you at your weakest moment, your most frail moment, not your strongest moment, the moment when you're most apt to give up, and he's slick, and he's tricky, and he knows how to tempt you with the very thing you're missing at that precise moment. But you don't have to just be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can also walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. I wish somebody would say amen in the house of God. So Satan came to Christ at what 
I'm sure Satan figured, oh, this is the cat's weakest moment. He's got to be ready to give up. We're talking no food for 40 days, no food. I mean, yeah, again, duh, Jesus was hungry. Jesus was thirsty. Satan presented Jesus with his first, those of you who went to Fight Club know what I'm about to say, with his first thought, idea, and suggestion. This is the power that the enemy has over you and I. Listen, this is the only power that the enemy has over you and I. Should I say it again? He has no other power over you and I. Same thing he did in the Garden of Eden. Plant a thought, suggest an idea, offer a suggestion. That's what he does to you and I. His only power is to give us a thought, an idea, or a suggestion. The difficulty is, what are we going to do with that thought, that idea, and that suggestion? So in, in Jesus' case, it was pretty apparent what the enemy ought to do. He was hungry. And so what does he do? He offers this thought, idea, and suggestion. Hey, JC, you're hungry. Poor baby. You're weak and you're thirsty. But... And the scripture says, if you are the Son of God, the actual Jewish translation of that is, since you are the Son of God. So you see what Satan's doing? Oh, Michael, poor baby. You're all weak and hungry. We're going to pretend for a moment that you're Jesus. But since you are the Son of God, you know that you have the ability to turn that stone into a wonderful loaf of bread. Can you smell it? Some of you, your mouth watered as soon as I said it. You're thinking, oh. What? <laughs> well, in your case, that's a good thing, son. That's all I got to tell you. If y'all didn't hear me, he said, I don't smell anything, but. But look at this slickness of the enemy. Jesus was hungry. He didn't just say, make some bread. He said, you know, you're the son of God. You could actually turn the bread or the stone into a bread. He also appealed to his pride in that moment to say, hey, you can do this, dude. You're JC, son of the big guy. You can take that rock over there and turn it into the most delicious bread. Well, Jesus received the TIS, which is the thought, idea, and suggestion, and he returned the TIS with an IIW. And an IIW is a, it is written. He returned the TIS, thought, idea, and suggestion with an IIW, and it is written. Are y'all hearing me? Because I'm trying to help you understand how to fight your battles. Because the enemy's going to come along at your weakest moment and tempt you with the very thing that you're the weakest from, and he's going to offer you a thought and an idea and a suggestion, and he's even going to validate your spirituality. And you're either going to entertain that thought, think upon it, dwell upon it, Justify it, or you're going to have an IIW in your heart, and it is written. Jesus 
quoted a portion of Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. I think it's beautiful that Jesus quoted the part of the Scripture he needed. For those of you who have difficulties memorizing passages of Scripture, you don't have to have it perfect. Maybe you do for Quest, Bill. But you don't have to have it perfect for anything else. So Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 8, 3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. (coughs) Boom! Thought, idea, and suggestion shot to the ground. Jesus overcame by having an it is written, an I-I-W in his heart. Can I help you with something? They didn't have the Bible in goat skin or cowhide or plastic. They had scrolls. The word was in scrolls. Let me help you. He didn't have the scrolls with him. Let me pull out my electronic scrolls. I got to come up with an IIW to win this TIS. No. He didn't have He didn't have electronic scrolls, and he didn't have a set of parchment scrolls with him. What did he have? He had a word in his heart, and he had a word that was the right word for the temptation that the enemy was bringing, and he didn't say, well, you know what? You know, I am the Son of God. I am hungry. I suppose I could use a piece of bread. Got any butter with that? Some jelly? Can we do this? No. He said, whoa, no, 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 man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of, your, out of the mouth of God. In your face! <laughs> All right? So, Jesus won, devil, zero. So, Jesus sustained his attack, made his attack by using the Word of God, and we need to have an it is written in our heart as well, because the Word of God is spoken to us by analogy that it is the sword of the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 calls the Word of God the sword of the Spirit, and the sword is both an offensive and a defensive weapon, and you can fend off the onslaught of the enemy with one stroke and pierce him through with the other. Jesus just used a portion of of that scripture in Deuteronomy. And you might say, well, he was Jesus. No, he was hungry. They're trying to give us an example here that he didn't win because of his divinity. He won in his humanity because of the power of the word of God. That's what he won and how you and I win, and how we can be as big as Jesus as well. You're not divine. You're human, filled with God. But you're not supposed to walk on planet earth just all filled up. You're supposed to be overflowing like a fountain from an endless bottomless ocean with the power of the Holy Spirit. And many in this room will say, yeah, that's kind of the one thing I'm missing. So why do we keep our nose in the book? Because, uh, hello, it's how you win your battles. In verses 5 through 8, and Satan led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, 
I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whoever I wish. Therefore, if you'll just worship me, I'll give some to you. No, it says, and it all be yours. Jesus is thinking, <laughs> laughing like Miss Connie at her own jokes up there. Jesus is, Jesus is laughing. <laughs> it's all mine anyway. I got this. I got this. So this is where Satan plays one of his pseudo-trump cards. He says, I have dominion over this earthen realm. And he, I'm, I'm filling in the blanks. Because Adam gave it to me in the Garden of Eden when I slyly tricked Eve into talking in him into eating of the fruit and disobeying God. Because guess what? That's exactly what Satan did then. He offered a thought and an eyes and a suggestion. You'll be just like God. Don't you want to be like God? He twisted the word just enough. So you need, what you do need to understand is that Satan did get dominion of the earth. He took it away from Adam. That dominion was given to Adam and to Eve in the Garden of Eden. They were given dominion over everything on the earth, and Adam gave it up. Yes, that's what the Bible says, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, Satan, who is the God, little g, of this world, We don't like to come to grips with this. Or 1 John 5, 19 in the English Standard Version where it says the whole world is under the power of the evil one. You want a good passage of Scripture? 1 John 4, 4, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Can I get an amen from somebody? So Satan may have tricked uh, uh, Adam and Eve out of their dominion card, but Jesus won it back at the cross of Calvary, y'all. He no longer has dominion. Used to, used to, my kids, Emily will tell this story, I think Eric will tell as well, because Diane was the bee, the bee queen. We were all scared of bees, especially me. You ever want to see me squeal like a girl? Have a bee in my truck while I'm driving down the road. But I would not be on the road if I were you. So we'd all go get Diane to get the bee. And she would say, I have dominion over you. She would. She'd, I have dominion over you, you bee. And then she'd squash that sucker. But she... She raised these girls, right, Emily? She raised these girls up with the idea, I have dominion. Why? She knew who she was with Christ in her. She knew who she was in Christ. Satan no longer had dominion. She took over dominion of the bee. Amen. The bee's going, well, lucky for you, you came, because if Rick came, I'd still have the dominion. <laughs> I've gotten better at it over the years, though. So, Satan uses his pseudo-fake trump card. I'll give you some power. 
Just worship me. And of course, Jesus came back with another. It is written. What did he say? He said, you shall worship the Lord God and serve him only. Sorry, you get none of this. So verses 9 through 12. Everybody doing all right? Looking at the clock back here. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. Now here's where Satan uses another one of his seriously subtle, perverted tricks. He also did this to Eve in the garden. It says, because now Satan uses a IIW. He says, uh, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning guard, concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Can I help you? That's a misread of the actual passage of Scripture. In one case, he left something out. And in the other case, he added something to it. But he kept enough of it to make it still a temptation to Jesus. You see, it's from Psalm 91. This is what Satan is quoting in his IIW. He's quoting from Psalm 91, verse 11, where it says, For he shall give his angels charge over you in all your ways. You see, Satan left that part out. And then it goes on to say in verse 11, In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. It didn't say uh, what it said, what he said, dash, at lest at any time. That's not what it said. So he changed, twisted, distorted, perverted the Word of God in such a way to make it sound exactly like the Word of God. But Jesus had enough of the Word of God in his heart to not be fooled by Satan's deception to use twist and use just enough of the Word of God to make you think that it's actually the Word of God. And quite frankly, forgive me for being skeptical, I think he's got the one hand up on a whole lot of believers because a whole lot of believers don't know their Word the way they need to know the Word. So Satan's just to give you a piece of it, and you're like, well, yeah. It does say that. The Bible teaches us that he'll come to us as an angel of light, presenting himself to be Christ himself, the art and master of deception. He's the father of deceit. He's the father of lies. If you don't know your word, the word of God, you are a, an open season target to the enemy. This is how we fight our battles. Why do I need to keep my nose in the book? Because this is how I overcome the enemy. This is how we win our battles. You're not always going to have your cowhide leather big enough to choke a horse in your hand. Well, I got my electronic device. Well, the next time you bank on that, may it freeze. Because you need it here. You need it here in such a way that it can make its way up through the temptation, through the sickness, through the trouble, and come out of your mouth because you passed air over your vocal cords to speak the Word of God. The enemy cannot stand up to the Word of God. He cannot stand up to the Word of God. He stands up to a lot of believers because they don't know the Word of God unless they got it in their hand. 
He doesn't care about what you have in your hand. He's not afraid of what you have in your hand. He's afraid of what you got in your heart. Because he knows you'll, you'll believe what you got in your heart. And you'll act on what you got in your heart. And you don't need much. You need more than three, though. Verse 13. Oh, I didn't do the last. Did I do the last one? Yeah, I think I did. So Jesus had three IIWs. It is written. Jesus. Fully God, fully man, still needed three. I'll say it again. Jesus, fully God, fully man, still needed three IIWs. It is written. How many do you think you might need? That's, I know. Some of you just went, <sighs> because that's my point. Jesus, the Son of God, still needed three. How many do you think you might need? How many you got? And the ones you got, do you believe? Because if you don't, you're firing blanks. And he knows it. And you're not winning. And you wonder why. Let me bring it, let me wrap it up. Now, verse 13 is just like, wow, come on. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until a later date. Yeah. He left him for a little while. Or as it says in the New American Standard Bible, until a better opportunity. Or as it really says, a more opportune time. You think he's going to leave you alone? He's going to battle you every day of your life, beloved. Saints of God, he's going to battle you every day of your life. And most of us don't have a single it is written, oh, Jesus wept. No, come on. I know you're, well, pastor, you don't need to be mean about it. Well, maybe, maybe I need to be like a drill sergeant sometimes. Maybe you need to get it into your heart. You need to have IIWs if you want to get past the TISs. Right on, amen, hallelujah. And I want you to have these in you. What have I been saying for all the time that you've known me? Keep your nose in the book. Why? Because I know that's how you can overcome the enemy. All you need is just a few it is written that you actually believe. You don't have to know the address. Satan isn't going, well, that don't work on me unless you can tell me it's from Matthew 4.4. 4. No, he, he's not worried about that. But the fact that you got a portion of that, remember the first one? Jesus only used the portion that he needed. Y'all look up here. You don't need to be worrying about that beautiful little girl over there. Okay? Right on. That's all right. Hey, sweetheart. 
Come here with me. We'll really let you distract everyone, okay? This way, you really make me look good. You ready? I agree. He only left him alone for a little while. He's going to come back, and he's going to visit you again. And did you notice that the passage said, until a more opportune time, your next moment of weakness? The next moment that your mind is so filled with the world and with other things that you're open to any thought, idea, or suggestion. Think about it. He's after you. But listen, this is how you fight your battles. This is how you win your battles. This is how you overcome. Go, glory, amen. Then verse 14, you know what verse 14 says? I like this part. Remember verse 1, and Jesus being filled with the Spirit of God. I love this parallel. Because verse 14 says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit of God. Now, I know Jesus, he had the power to begin with because he had the Spirit of God without measure. But the lesson that I learned from this is that you and I are going to have to overcome some of our battles. We're going to have to go through some wars, and we're going to have to get skint up, and we're going to have to get bruised, and we're going to have to get caught, but we're going to have to win some battles in order to move from just being filled with the Spirit to walking in the power of the Spirit. I wish somebody would give the Lord a praise in the house of God. Amen. Amen. My daughter is thinking, finally, for the first time in service, I get a break. And you're still thinking, I don't know what you're thinking. (laughs) So we got to keep our nose in the book. If you can believe it and you can receive it, give the Lord a shout and a praise in the house of God. (laughs) Amen. Now what I want to do is I want to have my prayer ministry team come forward. If you're on the prayer ministry team and you're scheduled for today, Come on forward to my right and to my left. Come on. Rock and roll. Let's do it. Maybe an elder or two that can come help me. Because I'm thinking there's some people in the room that you've been, That's awesome. You stand right there. That's beautiful. Wonderful. Thank you. Did I get an elder? Thank you very much. You guys come stand right over here. Because I believe there's probably people in the room that you have been struggling with the onslaught of the enemy. I'll guarantee you that our questers who are getting ready to go have been, have been under a severe onslaught of the enemy over the course of the last 30 days because the enemy does not want them to get what they're about to get. Chad, you and your bride come on up here too. You want to help me? I want you to help me. Help me, help me, help me. They're both, what, what? You're calling on us to come up here and pray for folks? That's right. You can do it. It's all right. So, 
here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You've been struggling. Maybe you've been given in to temptation. You don't have to tell nobody what your temptation is. Maybe you've just really been under the attack and the onslaught, and you're battle-weary, and you need some strengthening. I'm going to ask you to come, and I'm going to ask you to receive prayer today. Now, you guys up here in the front, remember the social distancing thing. So someone comes forward, I want you to ask them, is, is it okay if I lay my hand on you? And if they say no, that's all right, just extend a hand toward them. If they say, sure, go ahead, then lay a hand on them and pray with them, right? All right. This is the best preaching partner I've ever had. I want you to win. I want to win. Let me put it this way, because we're human. I want to win a whole lot more than I lose. And I want you to win a whole lot more than, than you lose. So if you're struggling, I, uh, to help me remember my son text name, his name has left me. Doug. Yeah, she likes it. Uh, put some music on or something. Play a little something. And um, I want, want when the music starts, I just want you to come. Whatever your battle may be, my, I may need some ushers that can help with crowd control because I know you're going to swarm the platform. That's good. Just pick somebody. They're all equally anointed. I believe that with all my heart. I wouldn't have them up here. You're struggling. Come, come receive it. That's what this is all about right now. That's what this is all about right now. Don't miss this, mo don't miss this window of opportunity for you. Praise God, everybody. Amen. That's what church is all about. Family and uh, worship. We did that. Great job, Bill and team, leading us in the presence of the Lord. Prayed a little bit, right? Took up an offering. You know you had church when you take up an offering. Huh? And uh, shared the word of God. People got prayed for. That's a pretty big deal, isn't it? I think it is too. I think we ought to bless everybody before we send them home. Okay, everybody stand up, please. I'm going to send you out with a blessing. I pray that the peace of the Lord go with you, be with you, and be with your family. May you experience the presence and power of God at every turn this week. I offer up not only a blessing to you right now, but I'm going to offer up a challenge to you at this moment as well. I challenge you to join with me every day this week to think about next Sunday. To prepare your heart for, to pray about, to consider the fact that next Sunday we all get together again for another appointment with Jesus Christ. That's pretty powerful, amen. May the peace of the Lord be with you. I love you. I call you blessed. Yeah.